0: So exactly when did Christmas begin? We're not looking for a chronological date off of a calendar. Something far more significant is up next on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. can make arguments as to the specific day or month or even year that Jesus was actually physically born. Yet the whole idea of Christmas, the whole thought of when Christmas began is something far different. And that's what we're looking at today and next week here on Graceful Truth. Welcome to the broadcast from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City with our teacher and pastor Steve Converse. We're looking at when Christmas really began. Here's Pastor Steve now with today's program. You turn over in your Bibles
1: to the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John. I want to ask you this question. When do you think Christmas began? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought about that? I'm not necessarily referring to uh, the celebration of Jesus' birth, what we know to be Christmas on December 25th, because we don't know exactly when he was born. Um, Scholars disagree on that. We just don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And so we would just be speculating if we were to guess at it. But I'm asking kind of a different question this morning of you. I want you to think of the question, when did the earthly life of Jesus Christ begin? With that in mind, I want us to read John chapter 1. John 1 verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That takes us back even before Bethlehem, (laughs) very simply to the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb. Christmas began not in Bethlehem, as we're so taught in the little manger, but really it began nine months before when the Holy Spirit, the Word of God says, overshadowed Mary and gave her a divine human person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it says this, And the angel answered her, answering Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It's interesting that Christmas began in the womb of a virgin girl, a young girl. God spent his first nine months on earth as a pre-born baby. If you ever thought about that, but that's true. Fully alive, fully human, fully God. That's why in a lot of the ancient creeds, it affirms that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He didn't become the God-man at Bethlehem. He was God incarnate from the moment of conception. Now you may look at John one fourteen and Say, well, it's kind of an iffy Christmas text, but you know what? The truth behind the story of the angels, the truth behind the story of the shepherds, the truth behind the story of the wise men and their journey to, to Bethlehem all starts right here. Without this verse, the rest of the story has no meaning whatsoever. Our text tells us that what really happened 2,000 years ago, and it, it tells us what it means for us today as well. Uh, Verse 14 is probably the most concise statement, biblically, of the Incarnation. And it's probably one of the most significant verses throughout all of Scripture. Those four words, the Word became flesh. It really speaks to our hearts the reality of the Incarnation of Jesus Christ. God taking on humanity. The infinite becoming finite. Eternity entered all time. The invisible becoming visible. The very creator who created everything enters into his creation. Now, this isn't the first time that God revealed himself to mankind. Uh, God reveals himself throughout scripture. Um, Romans tells us in chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore God gave them up in, the lust, in their lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves." Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God revealed himself to man through creation. When you go outside and you look around, hopefully you look and say, man, this is beautiful. It just didn't happen. There's a purpose. There's a creator. There's a designer. Also, God reveals himself to man in the Old Testament. Th- throughout, throughout scriptures in the Old Testament. Even in... Uh, it's referred to in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training of righteousness. Second Peter tells us that men were moved by the Holy Spirit to record His Word. He revealed Himself through these men in written Word. And we all have a copy of it. I forget what preacher it is, but when he preaches, he always tells the folks, Turn in your own personal copy. Of God's word too, (laughs) just making an emphasis that you know what you're you're blessed to have a personal copy of God's inerrant word to hold, to study, to read, to ponder. He revealed Himself throughout all the Old Testament scriptures, but Christ or God also revealed Himself most supremely, supremely probably in through Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter one. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by prophets. Verse 2 says, But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. It says that God has spoken to us in a myriad of ways in the past, but now He has spoken to us. It's done. It's over. The canon is complete. We don't need to look for new revelation from God. The record of Christ's life, the record of Christ's work, its applications, and its significance has a significance for the past, the present, and the future. I mean, when you talk about the word to both Greeks and Jews, there's, there's really a, a deep meaning there. John here clearly stated that he implied earlier in the, in the book of John, Jesus Christ, who is God's final word. That he became flesh. That's the word. He is the word. That word flesh. It doesn't really have a negative moral connotation. Sometimes as Christians we think of something fleshly. As something we think of it as negative. As sinful. And that's true sometimes. Most times. But the word itself doesn't carry that negativeness. It's it's dictated to it by the, the context. Here it refers to man's physical being. That he actually became flesh. It it affirms Christ's full humanity. Some people say, well, Jesus Christ was part God, part man. No, he wasn't. He was all God, all man. And that's what this first point here speaks of. The incarnation, the word becoming flesh. I mean, the whole truth about Christmas is really contained in this one phrase, the word became flesh. It's so important that when you hear those words, you may not really understand the full meaning of it. If I ask you, hey, I'm thinking of a word right now, guess what it is? You say, what? Just guess. Go ahead and guess. And you start guessing. No, 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 it's not that. It's not that. Finally, what are you thinking of? I'm thinking of radishes. (laughs) The only way you could ever guess that is if I gave you a description. You know, that's what, uh, you play that game, right? Charades. You ever play that game? You act out everything and you can't talk. At least you're not supposed to. And then you guess what that, that word is. Well, that's what that's what God did here. He didn't have us guessing about, well, what, what, what are you talking about? The word became flesh. No, he sent the word to us in The form of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's word made flesh. And now we know what God was thinking when he tried to communicate his love to us. Jesus is the visible word of God. He's God in human flesh. That's what we call the incarnation. It's hard to understand. There's a lot of debates going on about the incarnation. Even in the early church, there were debates about it. Some people said that Jesus really wasn't a man, because how could God become a man? That doesn't make any sense. He just looked like a man. <laughs> Maybe he was kind of like a ghost or something. Others said that he had the body of a man, but he didn't have a human soul. Still others said that Jesus was two people in one body, kind of half God, half man. And unbelievers just said it's impossible. It's, it's a bunch of, it's ridiculous even to believe any of that. And they didn't believe Jesus was God at all. They claimed he was an ordinary person, just like you and me, with a sin nature, just like everybody else on planet Earth. Unfortunately, all those things are wrong. When Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, the infinite God took on the form of a tiny, unborn baby. Eternal God added humanity. I mean, that's an incredible miracle. I mean, take aside the the part that he was born of a virgin. I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself. But the fact that God became man, incredible. No one can say really how it happened or even how God can become man without ceasing to be God. I don't understand that. He added manhood, but he didn't subtract any deity. He was fully God. He was fully man, the God-man. The almightiness of God moved in a a human arm. The almightiness of God now through love beat in a human heart. The wisdom of God spoke through human lips. The mercy of God reached out through human hands. I mean God was always a God of love, but when Jesus came to earth, love was wrapped all of a sudden in human flesh. That's what the incarnation is all about. One preacher tells a story of an ant farm. If you had an ant farm and you really loved those ants. How could you communicate your love to those ants in that little ant farm? I mean, you could tell them, but they're not going to understand you. I mean, I speak English, don't speak ant, whatever that might be. <laughs> they wouldn't understand you. I could write them a letter. Oh, ants, I love you so much. But they're not, not going to be able to read it. I could even maybe shrink myself down to ant size. <laughs> but they wouldn't recognize me. But somehow, if I would superhuman supernatural powers, there's one thing that I could do. I could take on the form of an ant. <laughs> Be born as an ant. Live as an ant. Communicate like an ant. Then I bet you I could find a way to say I love you to them. See, that's what God did. He, he didn't mail a letter. He didn't shout it from heaven. He did the one thing, the one thing that we could understand. God himself came down and he entered our human race. He became just like us so that forever... We would hear him say, I love you. I mean, I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have had Christ born in a little manger. I would have had a news flash and a big parade and make a big deal about it and maybe even sell some tickets and make some money at it. Hey, God's coming to earth. Come see the show. But that's not what God did. When you read through the New Testament, instead of this flash and splash kind of a marketing schemes that we have today, here you have... In the the Christmas story, this frightened father. I mean, think about it. You're a father. Your wife's pregnant, near birth. But think if you were homeless. Think if you had no place to stay. You had no hospital to go to. I think you might be a little fearful for your family, for your wife, for your unborn child. Think of the exhausted mother. Mary, walking, walking. Where are we going? Hopefully we'll find a place to stay tonight. They end up in a dirty stable. It's wintertime. Rags for diapers. In a mere feeding trough. There he is, ignored by the, the mighty, ignored by the powerful. This tiny, helpless little baby. Emmanuel. God with us. It's, it's such a, a simple approach. You know it has to be true. Only God would have done it that way. I remember talking to an individual one day about Christ and shared the gospel with them. And he said, I don't believe any of that stuff. He said, I'd, I'd believe God if he came down and stood right in my front porch and told me he was God. Then maybe I'd believe it. I remember telling him, hey, you know what? He's already done that. <laughs> he did it 2,000 years ago. He came down. He lived among us. If you don't believe that, then sorry, I can't help you. That song we sang this morning by Charles Wesley captured the wonder of the incarnation When he said, Christ by heaven, highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Listen, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. The incarnation. What an what a incredible miracle, what an incredible gift God has given to us. Well secondly, not only do I want us to look at the incarnation, but I want us to look at habitation. Because he says there that he not only came and took on flesh, but it says that he dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. One translation says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> For 33 years, God moved into our neighborhood. The NIV says that he made his dwelling among us. Some translations say that he pitched his tent among us. That's probably very accurate. That's really what that Greek word means. It, it's, it, it talks of make, made his dwelling, literally pitching a tent. You ever gone Camping. You get out to the campsite, and you get the tent out, and you pitch your tent. I mean, it's probably the first thing you do. So you have shelter, right? When I was younger, we used to go camping, and I never took a tent. i just sleep out on the ground with a sleeping bag. I'm not one for camping. I'm not big on that. I like to go out and maybe be in the wilderness and maybe sleep under the stars. But in the morning, you know what? I need a shower. I need to get up and take a hot shower. And hey, if i got a camping place that's got that, I'm good to go. Here's what Jesus did. He came, he left all the glory, all the comfort of home in heaven, and he pitched his tent down here. He dwelt among us for 33 years. See, it wasn't just a simple little appearance. I mean, God could have said, okay, just go down there for the day and kind of show your face, and then I'll bring you back home. Or go down and die, and we'll just kind of wrap this all up in 24 hours, and you'll be back home, no problem. He could have done it that way, but he didn't. He sent Jesus down to be born of this this, this simple woman, this simple virgin girl, and then to, to live as a baby and a young teenager and a young man and a man for 33 years here among us. He just didn't show up. He didn't make a, a mere appearance. Jesus didn't do that. He just didn't show up and, and say, hey, I'm here. He lived among us. Philippians 2.7 says that he took on all the essential attributes of humanity And it says that he was made in the likeness of men. Hebrews 2.14 tells us, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself Christ likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. He took of the same, the flesh and blood. In Hebrews 2.17 the writer of Hebrews says, He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He pitched his tent among us. He lived with us. Sometimes I remember going down to Mexico and taking some youth groups down there And when I was a little older and I kind of reflected on some of the trips we took. I mean, I, I kind of thought, you know what? We were probably more of a pain to these poor people than we were a help. They show up with 30, 40 kids, and hey, we're here to whatever, you know. And you know, paint their building or whatever, and then see you later, you know. And then we used to stop at Disneyland on the way home after we see this poverty down there as kind of a reward for the kids. I thought, what was I thinking, you know? And I'm sure those people thought, yeah, those Americans, they come down here and you know, do a little flash in the thing, make an appearance for a weekend or a week, and then see you later. We don't hear about them again until they want to come down again. How sad is that? Christ didn't do that. God didn't do that. Jesus Christ's humanity was not just a mere appearance. It's the same word there when it says he pitched his tent among us, he dwelt among us. That's used in the Old Testament when they used the tabernacle. And that was the the tent for the glory of God that dwelt in it before the temple was built in Jerusalem. The tabernacle in the Old Testament, in Exodus 33, was sometimes called the tent of meeting. Because it it was the divinely appointed meeting place between God and man. In the Old Testament, God tented with Israel through his glorious presence in the tabernacle. And then later, in the temple. He revealed himself in some even pre-incarnate appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. And throughout eternity, God will again tent with his redeemed and glorified people. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 to 4. It says, Throughout eternity, God will again tent with his... And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, here's what it says in Revelation, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell, same word, among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. See, in a very real way, Jesus is the place where we meet God today. In the Bible, three kinds of people lived in tents. First of all, you had the shepherds, they were kind of the bottom of the rung, as far as society goes. Nobody likes shepherds. They stunk like their animals and they're just kind of nomads. And you had sojourners, travelers who lived in tents. And you also had soldiers who lived in tents. And they all lived in tents. You know why? Because they never stayed in one place very long. They were only there for a short period of time. See, Jesus lived in a tent here in a human body in his humanity for 33 years on earth. And he did so because he was a shepherd. He was a sojourner. He was a soldier. He came to be the good shepherd. He came as the visitor from heaven. He came as the captain of our salvation, to defeat death and the devil once for all. I mean, think of it this way. Jesus was God's rescue mission to the human race. That's really what he was. He came on a mission from God. And when his mission was over, he went back to heaven. While he was there, he pitched his tent among us when he was here on earth. When his time was up, he folded up his tent, his human flesh. And He rejoined His Father in Heaven. He habitated among us. Thirdly, manifestation. This verse also speaks of the manifestation. It says, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Jesus Christ was a manifestation of the glory of God while He was here on earth. Through Jesus, God manifested divine glory during His earthly life. And it was done so in in such a way that's never been done before. It was still veiled by his human flesh and yet it was still there.
0: If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 366 Ninety-nine twenty-three, Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. One other invitation we would like to extend to you is the opportunity to partner with us financially. As you probably know by now through most of the other programming here on KFAX, each of these broadcasts are brought to you as a direct result of involvement from listeners such as yourself, both financially and prayerfully. As you consider year-end giving, would you consider Graceful Truth in the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City? It would mean a great deal to us to hear from you at this time. You can write to us at Graceful Truth, 2225 Euclid Avenue. Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. You can also contact us by phone, 650-366-9923. You can learn more about Graceful Truth online at gracefultruth.org and, coming soon, the ability to contribute securely online at our website, again, gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. And again, we're able to come to you each and every week here on KFAX as you partner with us financially, saying that the broadcast is of value to you and that you would like to help continue spreading God's Word through the ministry of Graceful Truth each and every Sunday here on KFAX. And again, as you consider year-end giving, it would mean a great deal to us at this time to hear from you. So would you take a moment and get a hold of us? Again, you can contact us with your donation at 650-366-9923. Or write to us and address your envelope to 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. And again, all of that information can again be found at our website, gracefultruth.org. We do thank you for joining us and look forward to hearing from you. It would mean a great deal to us at this time of year. Until next week at this same time, God bless.